Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Today, joining myself, Matt Froelich, are Dan Burke. Good morning. And Joel Sanderson Murray. Hello. Right, we've got a lot to get through, despite the fact there was no Premier League football this weekend, because <laughs> there was loads of football around Europe. Of course, we had La Liga, there was Liga. Loads of football coming up as well with the Champions League. Uh, boys, we've had a bit of a, a, a flavorful European weekend. Dan, you want to kick us off with something interesting that you saw in Liga around PSG? Yeah, I've been eating my uh, my croissants and escargot this weekend and uh, <laughs> delving into French football for a change. Yeah, I, I watched the uh, the PSG Brest game on Saturday. Incredibly offensive uh, to, to all work, French listeners, by the way. Not at all, not at all. They, lo- they love all that stuff, don't they? Actually, so you can you can buy a frozen escargot in uh, in Lidl in Berlin at the moment, which uh, I wouldn't you really? know go anywhere near it. I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole personally, but some people like that kind of thing, don't they? So good luck to them. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was I was watching the uh, the PSG game on uh, on Saturday. Very good it was too. Uh, Neymar scoring a, a nice goal uh, to decide the game with a nice sort of half volley across the goalkeeper. Uh, Donnarumma saving a penalty as well. Um, it was all about Lionel Messi though. He was uh, he was pulling the strings in a kind of almost like a sort of number 10 role, uh, played a lovely through ball uh, before the goal where Neymar was was through on goal, Some someone hacked him down. Uh, the player did originally get sent off and then it was checked for VAR and they discovered that uh, that Neymar was actually offside. But then a few minutes later, Messi played an even better pass over the top, uh, which Neymar scored from. So it kind of makes you think that maybe uh, there's plenty of life left in Messi yet if he, if he drops into a, a sort of deeper role uh, and becomes a bit more of a playmaker because... Uh, He's, uh, he's really good at it. Who would have thought after all this time he's a good playmaker? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Is he, um, d- does, does it look like he and Neymar especially are gearing up for a big World Cup? Do you reckon that's kind of their trajectory is just to get better and better before they clash in Qatar? I guess so. I, I guess Messi in particular because he's uh, it's his, probably his last chance at a World Cup now, isn't it really, um, in any kind of prime uh, I think he'll be like 38 by the time the next World Cup rolls around. So this is his uh, his last chance to, to win it for Argentina. So I'm sure that he's focused on that one. But yeah, PSG as a whole look pretty sharp, really. I mean, Mbappe um, didn't do a great deal in this game, but you know he's been playing well in the Champions League recently. And then I, I feel like Neymar is really focused at the moment and really got his head on the game at PSG. And uh, you know I think they're going to be a threat for the Champions League as well. So um, yeah, looking good. It, it seems like Neymar's I- like suddenly be- like become the most decisive player for PSG, isn't it? Especially this season, because mm. it's like he's got eight goals, six assists in, in Liga and alone. Like he's making like decisive uh, uh producing decisive in- inputs, like especially in the Champions League game against Juventus, he sets up the first goal for Mbappe, doesn't he? Which like with the delightful little chip into Mbappe's path to volley home and, and it feels like like you use the right word there, Dan, like he looks really focused, doesn't he? He looks like he's he's mm. now he's, I think he's always understood how much of a good player he is, but he's like he's it seems like he's focused all his energy on onto making sure like PSG can win games just off the back of him doing something in it. And it's quite scary when you're, you know, in the Champions League that, you know, PSG have got all these talented players and if Messi has a quiet game or Mbappe has a quiet game, Neymar can just go and do something out of nothing and, and win it for them and, and having a focused uh, Neymar is is really frightening for the rest of uh, the rest of the teams trying to win the Champions League. Yeah, we we focus on them three a lot, but you look at the depth in PSG's squad and it is really impressive. I mean, they have Fabian Ruiz making his debut in this game as well. Um, they've got Hugo Ekitike, who they bought from uh, Ren, I think it was this summer, wasn't it? Who's who looks like a really good young prospect who who can be uh, you know used off the bench when uh, when those players need a rest as well. And and 
you know, you look at the bench that they can put out. Nuno Mendes has, has played they signed last season. I think he's really good. Nordi Mukieli they got from mm. RB Leipzig this summer. Carlos Soler. So like, yeah, they've. I think they've probably got you know one of the best first 11s in in Europe and, and arguably the best uh, the best squad in Europe as well so i think it's pretty frightening for everyone else if they can get the shit together yeah i think the champions league is always the ultimate test though for psg and kind of neymar as well like they're absolutely everything great in liga but until until they do some serious damage in the champions league he's probably not going to get well he's been he's been snubbed from the ballon d'or this year right yeah, I believe he has, yeah. In, in the top 30, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think he might need to do, as much as I think he's brilliant at doing amazing, he might need to do a little bit more on the, uh, on the continental stage. Um, mm. Talking actually of one player, this is probably a, a harsh segue for the Bundesliga, but talking of one player who, no matter how many goals he scored, there was always the Farmers League accusation thrown around, and that is Robert Lewandowski, <laughs> um, completely proving that who knew he's actually a good goal scorer. Shame on you who didn't yeah. think so, uh, because he's banging them in in La Liga for fun. I believe he's the top goal scorer with six at the minute. Yeah. Um, it came off the bench and got two goals and assist. Or wasn't it a, a, a goal and two assists? It was a, go- a goal and an assist, I think. A goal right and there. an assist against Cadiz. Um, it's all making it look a little bit too easy. Dan, I, I know you said you watched a bit of Barcelona as well. Mm. Is it possible that a team can go from, I don't know, let's say two or three years of what is uh, a disarray would be a good word, to then suddenly going back to being really good in Champions League favourites? Like, surely they haven't turned things around <laughs> that quickly, have they? I mean, yeah. Well, again, you talk about depth and, and we've talked a lot about the, the chaotic summer that Barca have had and all the kind of boardroom wrangling, whatever you want to call it. Um <laughs> But you look at the, you look at the squad that they've got now, and that is the, the depth that they've got to pick from is incredible as well. And you know, and the, the players like Marcus Alonso, who they signed on deadline day, um, Hector Bellerin made his made his debut here. You know, they may not be the the best players in the world, but they're solid, you know, quality players. The solid sort of Champions League level, Premier League level, La Liga level quality players, aren't they? And you know, the fact that Memphis Depay is sort of on the fringes of this squad. He started this game. Uh, didn't do an awful lot to be honest, but uh, you know they've got Lewandowski coming off the bench, and um, I don't know if you've seen. Well, it was a bit of a strange game this because Barca were were two 0 up. Uh, Lewandowski uh, scored shortly after coming on, and the game was I think it was eighty second minute. The game was kind of petering out, and there was a, there was an incident in the crowd. A, a fan had a, a cardiac arrest, I believe it was, in the crowd, and uh, and the goal the Cadiz goalkeeper uh, Ledesma. Had to like run over and like give a defibrillator device into the crowd for the medics to kind of resuscitate this fan. Mm. And the players are all on the pitch for like, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And some of them were like praying. You could tell they were all a bit distressed by it. Then they were taken off the pitch for about 10, 15 minutes. Then they came back on, finished the game. The game finished about an hour later than it should have done eventually. And it was a bit of a weird like last 10, 15 minutes where they played out where kind of everyone was kind of done with it really no one wanted to be there and, and Barca scored a couple mm. of goals um, Lewandowski set up Anzu Fati for a goal where it was like watching a dad play against his children or something the way he just held off like three defenders <laughs> before passing to him and then then Bailey got the, the goal at the end to make it 4-0 but yeah Lewandowski just looks incredible he still looks you know for a 34 year old he still looks very sharp and very lean and very fit so you know he's going to he's going to score a lot of goals for them this season and like they finished last season strongly, didn't they? Xavi has done a pretty good job there so far. They've got some really talented players and, you know, they've kept Frankie de Jong. He scored in this game as well. So again, they're, yeah, they're, they're one that, that I'd yeah. say will be, will be sort of in and around the, uh, the Champions League latter stages, I would say. I've never seen such a good team on the pitch come off the back of such a confusing summer off of it <laughs> nothing <laughs> yeah. makes sense in football nothing makes sense at all but there, there could be more drama off the pitch as I've seen um, 
they apparently are planning a court case against Atletico Madrid for their use of Anton Griezmann. Maybe one of you two has a bit more on this. There's a clause in his contract that they have to pay the other 40 million euros, I believe it is, if he's using a certain amount of minutes that are available to him throughout the season. Um, So Antoine Griezmann has been coming on after the 60th minute in every match. Yeah, uh, if he plays, uh, I think it's for 50% of the minutes he's available for a fast car to have to stump up the cash for him. So uh, in the biggest sort of form of shit house he has ever been in football, he keeps getting brought on in the 63rd <laughs> minute of every single game, and and, it, and it's and it's brilliant. And and you know what? It's it's worked to a T because Griezmann scored the winner against um, Valencia in La Liga uh, to to decide the game uh, two weeks ago, and then. Um, against uh, Porto in the Champions League in midweek, obviously he scores the winner in like the hundredth minute to decide that game. So he's becoming quickly taking Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's role of being uh, the best super sub in <laughs> world football has ever been. He's, he's, he's clearly taking that, and it, it's it, it's crazy because like it's it's just <laughs> it's a really sort of clever way to go to go about it. And Barcelona suddenly sitting reportedly seems to be pissed off about it, like uh, like you say there, Matt, and, and there's a court case being thrown on the table, but. I'm not quite sure what he can do about that because it's written into the contract. <laughs> what are you meant to do? I think I think it's it's only funnier because it's Diego Simeone as well. That's what I think just adds more into yeah. it. Like just the thought of him opening that shithousery book and writing a brand new chapter on bringing Antoine Griezmann in on the 60th yeah. plus minute is just... That was 100% his idea, funny. wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be funny if it was anyone else, but because it's Simeone, I'm like, yes, of course it's him. <laughs> Just fits the bill so well. Um, talking of Atletico Madrid's rivals, Real Madrid, who were uh, who are pretty convincing in the end, I would say, in a four-one victory. Uh, Joel, you watch this one—a very, very different-looking Real Madrid midfield. And can you please explain how on earth Danny Ceballos is in there? You, you know what? He, he could have been uh, player of the match. To be honest with you, he was a—he uh, was, uh, was, was good, wasn't he? He was—he was really good. He, he sort of like reminded me a bit yesterday. Like, I hate bringing things back to Liverpool all the time but they're my own reference points so what can I do but he reminded me a bit of like Adam Alana played in a, in midfield for Liverpool like he's sort of like very good at being tidy on the ball and making the right pass you know it's not the most exciting or sexy pass but um, he did a lot of that as well he, 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 he managed to sort of break the lines a couple of times and get the ball into the area quite good and 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 fairly like Carl Ancelotti wanted him to stick around in the summer and, and kept in there and like I think it sounded like it would have been pretty pretty easy for Sabias to move on, and there, there seems to be a lot of La Liga clubs interested in him. Uh, I'm not sure Arsenal were linked to getting him back because I'm not sure you, you know Premier League fans listening to this probably won't remember him having like a, a best opinion of of Sabayas because he didn't really pull up any cheese in in, in England, but. He's yeah. he came, he, don't forget he came on in the Champions League final as well against Liverpool, and I remember him <laughs> oh, yeah, right, bearing yeah. down on goal and thinking, you know what, I might retire from football if, if Danny Sabayas scores past us in the Champions League final. <laughs> but uh, you know what, that's doing him a bit of disservice because he, he was really good yesterday and and kept things ticking along. And it, it was a you know like you said there a rotated Real Madrid lineup and. Uh, for a lot of the game, it looked like it might be a bit sticky for them because Mjorn could take the lead and and uh, it takes until the 45th minute, uh, well, sorry, sorry, first half stoppage time for, for them to pull back level from a, an, an incredible goal from uh, Freddie Valverde. That was, uh... 
which just like he picks so Bios actually gets the assist for that which is like hilarious considering if you remember the, the Lionel Messi goal he scores at Bernabeu where uh, Busquets gets the assist and uh, all Busquets did was just lay, like touch the ball once and Messi goes and takes on six players it was um, it was a bit like that for Sabayos and Valverde yesterday it was an incredible and, and, and Valverde I think like might go on a bit of tangents on him but I think he's could be like one of the most complete midfielders in 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 world football at the moment. Like he's he sort of breaks into the Real Madrid team at first as sort of being a kind of destroyer, but like the the legs in midfield a bit box to box. And that was on on show yesterday when he you know he literally goes box to box to score his <laughs> goal. But uh, he's you know made his name sort of on the right of a front three in a, in a, the last like six months. He plays there in the Champions League final and sets up the goal, uh, the winner for Vinicius. And he's uh, he's he's the skill set remarkable. I don't think there's anything that he, he isn't bad at because he can pick a pass, he can you can drive forward with the ball. He's, he He's uh, very good at tracking back and, and, and doing the pressing business and all, all the sort of dirty work. And every time he, as, as I see him play, he's just like, I'm just blown away about how good he is. And um, you know, Real Madrid have obviously gone and spent money on Tuchemeni and Camavinga in the last uh, couple of transfer windows, but they might have the best midfield, potential next best, 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 uh, next best midfield in the world already there in Valverde. Yeah, that's what I was thinking is that he's, he, like you said last season, a right winger, and he was used a little bit. I remember away at Chelsea, like you mentioned, his his legs and his box-to-box stamina kind of helps to be a more of a defensive right winger, so he helps with the tracking back, whereas Vinicius and Benzema are the ones who stay up top and you almost get another man back in defence. Are we seeing the Real Madrid midfield change quicker than we thought, though? I mean, obviously, Casemiro has been sold, uh, Camavinga and many in. Could we have a complete switch of the Modric Cruz Casemiro that we've seen for what is it now the best part of eight years, um, and suddenly we see a, a Camavinga Chuameni Valverde central midfield instead? Yeah, it seems to be happening right before our very eyes, doesn't it? And and I, you know, watch the first couple of games that Chuameni comes in for, and I, I don't want to use these words very lightly, and I probably will be proven wrong, but there's potential that he's got more to his game than Casemiro, and could end up being a more viable asset to, to Real Madrid than Casemiro was, which is, I know it sounds ridiculous because Casemiro wins five Champions Leagues for them, but Tuchimeni can do the Casemiro business, but he can also bring the ball out of midfield and, 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 and break through the midfield into the attack as well. And, and he's, he's a complete all-round midfield. And, and, I, and I think you're right there. I think it's happening before our, before our very eyes. And I, I still think like mm-hmm. Luka Modric was still incredible earlier on in the season against Elza Vigo and he decides the game in, in, in that match and he's, he's still got plenty of like, um, time left in his legs somehow at 37. Uh, I think Tony Cruz is, you know, is going further back in midfield as, as it goes along but I mean, it's not bad options to have, is it? Where you can sort of bring those two in and out, and and you can replace them with Valverde, Camavinga, Tuchemeni. It's saying not bad options to have, but but yeah, it's it's great because Carl Ancelotti last season he he got asked about rotating players a lot, and he was always dead against it. Um, he, he, he sticks that mm. Casemiro cross and, and Modric midfield all the way through, and uh, and this season already, he's he seems to have gone against that. And you, you're thinking that he's just going to go, you know, cross and Modric and, and put two Jermaine or Kamavinga in, and, and but still stick with the, you know, the two old lads there uh, doing them a disservice there, aren't I? But uh, you, you think he's, he's going to stick with them all the way through? But no, he seems to be alternate, and mix and matching, and at the moment it's working because Real won five out of five, and the only team at the top five European leagues to, uh, to have a hundred percent record still. Kroos is out of contract to the end of the season as well, isn't he? 
That's interesting, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, potentially. It could be, could be moving League. on. A return, mm. a return to Bayern Munich, maybe a move in the was like, It was linked with Chelsea City last week, actually. I don't know if uh, there's any truth to that at all, but apparently City have been mm. interested in him for a while, but I don't really know if yeah, that will happen. Uh, maybe not now. Could be maybe Chelsea. The reason I bring it up is because this morning, I believe, there was the latest on N'Golo Kante. Uh, not too happy with the latest contract offer on the mm. table. I believe was it two he wanted three years plus one and they offered him two years plus one potentially he he got offered the job. three years plus one by um the last um oh. owners so roman Bramovich offered them or whoever was doing the contracts when roman Bramovich was in charge often mm. three years plus one and then now it seems that the new the new regime and he wants to give him two plus one uh, maybe there's a bit of a swap there i could see kante at real madrid He's a free agent next summer, by the way. I should have added that in at the beginning of that little bit. <laughs> so he's also Tony Cruz and Golo Kante. Both of them, both of them could be on the move next summer. Um, talking about Chelsea though, and Golo Kante about the new man, Graham Potter takes his first uh, first seat in the Chelsea dugout. Should we say in the Champions League <laughs> this week um, as they take on? Look, Abi Salzburg are a good side. It's the Champions League. There could have been tougher tests, I think. Um, for Graham Potter on the first game, how how uh, how in immediate Dan are you expecting to see the Potter impact? There are rumours that he's completely fallen in love with Jorginho and he's the new captain and star man. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> That's what I read uh, anyway. I mean, yeah, he does yeah. seem like a very Graham Potter type player, doesn't he? Really, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, I think how it might have helped. Will the impact be? <laughs> yeah, it might have helped a little bit that they they had the game called off this weekend actually because they were away at Fulham and I I earmarked that one as a potential upset this weekend really even before the managerial change had been made. If you know Fulham have started the season pretty well, haven't they? I thought that would be a a match where they might ruffle a few th- feathers and and especially with with Potter coming in, I thought it would be a chance for them to catch him catch him a bit cold. So maybe having a, a few more days to prepare for this game. Um, I think it's quite a nice. Yeah, it's it's not an easy game, is it? But it, it's it's sort of if you could pick an opponent, you'd probably Nicer. go for somebody like that. Yeah, yeah, it's a kind of easy win. I'm, I mean, I'm sure sure Salzburg won't be uh, won't be going easy on them or anything. But yeah, I, I think um, I think it could be quite quick actually because I think that the way that the team is set up is 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 quite nice for Potter, and I think the players will understand that they kind of need to listen to this guy and they need to take note of what he's saying and, and start playing his le- way very quickly and. I think there was there was some question marks over whether he can sort of command that dressing room, whether he can go in there with all those sort of big established stars and and get his point across quickly. But I've got a feeling that those players might take to him quite quite quickly. So yeah, I can imagine if he has fallen in love with Jorginho, that he'll be the sort of focal point of the team, and they'll start playing some some lovely football straight away. And it's probably going to be a bit of an up and down season. I don't know if what kind of targets they can set themselves this year. You'd probably be looking at like you know top four at the very best. Um, now I, I can't see them getting involved in the title race, but uh, yeah, I'm, re- I'm really yeah. intrigued to see how this looks actually, because we've been talking about Potter for a while about what a good coach he is and how his, his results sometimes belied that with Brighton and sometimes they kind of punched above the weight as well. So uh, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if he can transfer those skills to a higher level straight away. Well, it might get a little bit more difficult for them as they're set to play Liverpool at the weekend. Yeah, so yeah. maybe the Salzburg would be a little bit of a little bit of an easier way to get in. Talking about Liverpool and uh, uh, Joel, your beloved side, who didn't have the greatest start in their Champions League this season. Let's just say <laughs> Ajax provide another very very tough test. Um, I believe they were four nil winners in their opening game in the Champions League. Um, 
how positive are you feeling ahead of the match this week? Do you think, like uh, like Dan just mentioned there, was it a good or a bad thing that they didn't have a chance to almost get the Napoli result out of their system at the weekend? I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not very positive anyway. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll open with that. <laughs> I, I think when you, when you suffer a defeat, defeat like that, you want to get back on a horse straight away. Um, so if, I think usually, you know, it's quite good that you have a game three days later. But I think in, in this instance, I think Liverpool needed a bit of a break. And I think the whole squad needed a bit of a break. Um, it gives, you know, Klopp, yeah, Klopp a chance to get some players back from injury or, you know, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure that is actually going to be the case, but from the from the sounds of uh, the news coming out from the train that's going to take place today. But I mean that that they just still have some players that you know might get closer to it. Like Curtis Jones might be able to get back into the squad. So that I think that um, the break's going to be a bit of a boost to them in in, in some ways, and it gives them also a bit more time on the training uh, training ground because at the moment I think. Liverpool's issue, a lot of it does come down to injuries, but I don't think you can use that as a as the main excuse or the, the main reason because you know Jurgen Klopp is, is trying to and, and his coaching staff are trying to change the way Liverpool play this season, and at the moment, well, clearly it doesn't seem to be working. Um, he seems to be wanting to play you know Mohamed Salah and Luis Diaz or whoever's going to play in those inside forward positions that actually seems to be playing more as wingers rather than inside forwards. So it's and, and that seems to have sort of shifted the whole sort of team and, and it doesn't seem to be quite working. And, you know, Harvey Elliott, I rate as a footballer, but him playing in midfield at the moment seems to have sort of made everything go out of sync as well. You know, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Salah on, on that side aren't in form and I think Harvey Elliott being there is maybe getting in the way a little bit, which sounds a bit sort of simplistic, but when mm. a player is literally getting into the space that you usually operate in, that, that's, that can prohibit your game. So I, I think... Shouldn't that be quite easy to sort out if that's the problem though, really? In what way do you reckon sort of what, you know, just... Just, just say, that, just sort it out on the training pitch, basically. Just say, don't do that. <laughs> Get out of my way, Harvey. It's, it's sort of, yeah, basically yeah. like, don't stand there, Harvey. Stand over here instead. Like, it's... It, Quite possibly, I, th- I think the the issue is if that's they've obviously given Elliot instructions to operate in this space, and then and and change the instructions they're given to Alexander Arnold and, and Salah. And the, the thing is, the, the proof hasn't been in the pudding so far. So you you would hope, I would hope you're right. <laughs> I would hope they might just sort mm. out on the trainer pitch. But I think that maybe I think it might need either another mid, a, a different player playing in that position. Um, and, and taking Hart Elliott out or moving him along to the left hand side of midfield and, and that kind of thing. I mean, that's not that also is not the an issue as well. I think Liverpool are suffering from a bit of a hangover from you know going close to win the quadruple last year, and mm. I don't think they've got over that. Um, that that seems to be sort of happening. You know, you see pl- like players like Van Dijk and Alexander Arnold not even be able to to run to to get the ball as well. Mm. Sometimes that like, you see the, the second Napoli goal and Guisa just walks through that defence, and, and I think there's, there's a, a, an emotional and, and physical sort of a hangover from last year and I, th- I think these are all sort of culminated into what the poor form's happening so I think really to, to answer your question there yeah, Matt I think the, the, this break might have you know come at the unexpected breaks come at the right time for them where they can one have a bit of a rest for an extra day or two and then it also gives Jürgen Klopp an unexpected day uh, further day or two on the on the training pitch and, and, and hopefully he's managed to sort something else but 
in terms of positivity ahead of Ajax, <laughs> I'm not so sure. <laughs> I was going to say, you started saying well, you were quite yeah. negative. Yeah. And you sounded quite positive at the end there, Joel. Ajax <laughs> I, I, I took an absolute flying form. They look really, yeah. really good. Um, Dan, as for your Manchester City hosting Dortmund, mm. um, looks like Dortmund were on a very good run. Uh, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, to lose quite comfortably to a Leipzig team at the weekend who were a disarray in their own right, uh, with, with a brand new manager in charge, are you a little bit afraid of the new manager bounce coming into Manchester? Uh, well, Dortmund don't have a new manager, do they? Oh yeah, sorry, that was Leipzig. <laughs> <laughs> it's You're confusing because right. it's Dortmund's Let, old manager who's Leipzig's yeah. new manager. Yeah. That, that is exactly what I thought. Okay, Leipzig's <laughs> new manager was Dortmund's old manager, um, but you must feel a little bit more positive then. They've just been stuffed yeah, 3-0 at the yeah. weekend. Yeah, You're going to feel happy anyway. <laughs> I, did, I didn't watch the Dortmund game at the weekend. I just saw the highlights, but they were very poor by all accounts. So I just ne- never got going. I think it's one of those results that's kind of quite easy to predict. You know, Dortmund are that kind of team where, you know, they, they're, they're very sort of slavish to the narrative sometimes, aren't they? And uh, yeah. with, with Rosa being the coach there, you kind of looked at that one and thought, oh yeah, I bet, you, I bet he beats Dortmund on his first game. And, and lo and behold, it was uh, it was pretty pretty comfortable, pretty comprehensive. And Dortmund were really poor. And, um, you know, I think uh, having lost Haaland in the summer, they were they were always likely to uh, be less of a threat to a team like City in a game like this. And I think they were okay against Copenhagen in their opener last week, but and, and they have still got some some talented players. But I think the more you look at the group that City are in, the more straightforward it looks from City's point of view. You know, Sevilla were really poor last weekend. I'm not expecting Dortmund to come to the Etihad and really trouble City that much. I think they have got players who can hurt you. But, you know, when we played them a couple of years ago in the uh, last 16 or quarterfinals, you know, they had Haaland, they had uh, Bellingham playing well. Um, they, that was like a, a close tie, whereas this one, it seems like City have kind of pulled away from them quite significantly. So I would imagine it would be quite a comfortable victory for City, but, you know, I'm not going to take anything for granted, really, because I think Marco Royce is in pretty good form for, for Dortmund at the moment. So he's yeah. he might be their, their best hope of, of doing something, really. And uh, other than that, it could just be another one where, you know, Haaland comes back to haunt his, his old club. I was going to say, talking about football narratives, that one definitely, definitely will happen. That storyline's yeah. written. You know it, Harlan, bagging at least <laughs> one. Uh, is this a chance yeah. for Guardiola? Is this a chance for Guardiola and I guess the rest of English football, probably Jurgen Klopp too, to get a better look at Jude Bellingham? Yeah, I mean, there's been no talk of City being being in, in for him at all, really, which, uh, you know, I think he's a class player. I would love to sign him. It seems pretty nailed on that he will, uh, he will, he will end up going to Liverpool um, I know we've we've been in this position. I, th- I think Timo Werner was pretty nailed on to go to Liverpool for a long time, and that never happened. So, is he? Uh, is that one you can see happening, Joel? I, no, I don't think so personally. I, I think I, I, oh. it, it does sound like it. Yeah, um, you're, you're right. But I think in terms of like the financial sort of constraints, I think I, I'd be I won't be surprised if he ends up at Real Madrid. To be honest with you, um, not mm. like they, they need him, but uh, I just think that that feels like something that might happen. I think Liverpool won't be able to afford his wages or be able to afford the fee that Dortmund will ask for. So, yeah, I'd be surprised actually if he ends up at Liverpool. Well, Bellingham to, to Real Madrid and, and Valverde to Liverpool then. That would suit you nicely, wouldn't it? I'll, I'll, <laughs> me, me, my top is off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. The last time I was on this, you were nude, weren't you, for the whole thing? So, yeah, that makes a change if just the top's on. Just the top's <laughs> off even, Joel. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, Jude Bellingham was the one. Didn't he score last time at Manchester City and it was ruled out very harshly? Yeah, there was something like that. I can't remember, remember yeah, yeah, why yeah. now. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he scored as well. F- 
He might have scored, but wasn't there a foul on the goalkeeper? And I think it was... Something like that, yeah, yeah. I'm trouble rem- remembering that. Something yeah. bizarre. Anyway, Manchester City nailed on for a win, according to you there. Um, <laughs> talking of Dortmund, actually, on the, the Bundesliga we spoke about earlier and, and Bayern Munich and the storyline about players returning. And of course, you've got Robin Lewandowski facing off against his former club, Bayern Munich, who aren't in the greatest shape. For, for some reason, the Bundesliga has seen them draw their last three games. Mm. Uh, a late equaliser to Stuttgart at the weekend as well. Dan mentioned earlier about how Barcelona seem to be back on very top form and, and their forwards are unbelievable. Is this actually going to be a lot closer than uh, certainly the last few results would suggest? I mean, the last time these two met the Champions League, it was 3-0 for Bayern Munich and 3-0 for Bayern Munich. Yeah, it was. I remember watching both those games last season. It was proper kind of men against boys stuff. But yeah, I definitely think Barcelona yeah. have got a got a good chance in this one. I mean, Bayern, Bayern were decent against Inter in the Champions League last week, but yeah, they, they look really out of sorts in uh, in the Bundesliga at the moment, which I don't think is something that concerns them too much, given this kind of lack of competition in terms of the title race. I think they're, they're kind of okay with that, but I'm pretty sure, did, did I read it? It was the, the worst Bundesliga start for like a long time or something. They're still, they're still actually unbeaten <laughs> in terms of points. Yeah. Um, they've made like... I think it's 22 and 20. I know they're unbeaten. They've got three draws. I think it's three wins, three draws. Uh, but worst start to a Bundesliga season for 12 years, apparently, yeah. Um, wow. Which tells you kind of the high standards they've been setting, the high bar they've been setting, doesn't it? But uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they'll be fine in terms of the title race and perhaps, yeah. you know, for them it might be a case of uh, let's just focus on getting getting results in the Champions League and we'll, we'll sort the Bundesliga out later because we'll, we can always, uh, you know catch uh, Union Berlin or Freiburg, who, who, whoever's uh, top of the league at the time. But yeah, I, I don't know how you put your finger on it, really. They, they just don't seem uh, seem to particularly particularly sharp at the moment. That, that is quite funny, though. That's their worst start in 12 years, and they're still just two points off the top. <laughs> yeah. So they're literally, your worst start, you have one more match day, and they could probably be in, <laughs> they could probably be yeah. in first place. Um, there's, there's quite a few other games for all of you watching the Champions League out there to look forward to. Juventus are hosting Benfica. Um, you've got Celtic travelling against Shakhtar Donetsk. There's also Spurs against Tottenham. And definitely what will Spur- be the battle of the most unbelievably good fans, by the way, in Marseille <laughs> against Frankfurt too. Sporting against Tottenham, you mean? You said Spurs against Tottenham then? Oh, sporting against Tottenham. What is with me today? I just, honestly, the lack of English football fried my brain. Shake off those holiday cobwebs, Matt. That's what it was. You know, you feel really out of the loop when you're on holiday. I sit there and I'm chilling and I just see a little bit of football news on my phone and I think, oh, I'm missing out on this. Missing out on the footballing world. Um, But we do actually have a few messages as well from you guys listening out there. Of course, you can get in touch with us. The email is podcast at onefootball.com. You could tweet us. You're at footballdan, at uh, Matt underscore Froelich and at, is it Joel SM, I believe? Joel S. Murray. Yeah. Don't tweet me. Joel, Joel S. Murray. <laughs> do tweet him. Do. Anyway, Will Shaw has got in touch with a question for us. Uh, and it said, who is one player you see is breaking out this season the most so far? And do you think they can keep up their form or is it just a fluke? Joel, do you want to kick us off? Oh, come back to me on that one, actually. actually uh, <laughs> I, I had someone. I just got out of my head. <laughs> Dan, do you want to kick us off? <laughs> I, I've got one for you, yeah. I, and I'm going to make an absolute arse of pronouncing his name here. But the uh, the guy who plays for Napoli, the Georgian guy, Kavarach Kavarachgilaya, is it? 
But I I, t- I attempted this the other day, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm I'm not even going to yeah. try it." It sounds like he's I'm known, drunk he's known as Quara, so let's just let's just keep it as that. Apparently, oh, is but, that uh, it? Okay, okay. Yeah, he looks class. I thought he was great against Liverpool yeah. last week. Um, Twenty-one year old. Uh, not enough Georgians doing the business in football um, for my liking. You know, as a Man City fan, we had a lot of them in the nineties. So it's great to see an, an heir to Georgie Kinkladze finally. Um, and he's one. I, I bet you he'll go for like a hundred million in a couple of years or something like. Or it'll just fade into insignificance. I don't know, but he he looks really good him. Yeah, so I'm 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 keeping a close eye on him. I was going to say actually, it's, it's probably not so much of a of an underrated one, but someone I think who will go the distance, and it isn't just a, a good purple patch of form, is Ivan Tony. I really think mm. he's sort of him and Brentford have come into their own in the Premier League. Um, his hat trick the other day was absolutely fantastic, and free kick. I'm I'm going to stick my neck out there and say he'll still be in enough form that he'll go to the World Cup as well. Oh. I know he may be. I know he may be just third striker behind Tammy Abraham and Harry Kane, but he could be there. Do you know? I was surprised about him. He only scored twelve goals in the Premier League last season. It seemed like more to me, and he's got he's got like five already this season. So he's probably going to beat his record. But yeah, yeah, exactly. He'll, he'll beat his record. I just think he and Brentford will get better. I mean, even look. I'm not saying he's maybe not Champions League level, but certainly like the teams pushing Europe or pushing for the Champions League could do with him. I would have complained mm. to Spurs. Well, I think Manchester United could have done with going for him as a, as, a, as a focal point if they needed the striker, which they did towards the end of the transfer window. Yeah. Although it looks like Rashford's back in a bit of form. I'm, I'm all aboard the Ivan Tony train, is what I'm saying, basically. Yeah, he's class. Yeah, as for you, Joel? Uh, obvious shouts, first one, I will go and say Jamal Musiala will end up being, talked about as being the best midfielder in, in Europe at the end of the season. But in terms of mm. not going for an, to, like, an obvious shout. Um, I mean, not like completely young or underrated, but uh, and I'm also going to butcher his pronunciation. But uh, Bruno Guimaraes, Newcastle. Um, oh, yeah. I think I think he started the season mm. quite brightly, impressed me against Man City in that game, uh, and on the open day against Nottingham Forest. Um, I, I think he, I think he gets talked about. You know, as I think he'll hit the sort of form this year that by the end of the season. Liverpool and City would probably be looking at him, I reckon. Uh, I think he's got that kind of talent about him. And another sort of side shout for Umar Sadek, um, who's just moved from Almeria to Real Sociedad um, to replace Alexander Isaac. I think um, I think he's, he's he's very sort of, doesn't look like he should be a good footballer, but he knows where the back of the net is. <laughs> um, and I, I think he'll end up having a really good season. I think, you know, he's... He scored a couple of goals before he got the move to Sociedad already in uh, in La Liga, and I think he'll I think he'll take to, to La Liga season really well. So, yeah, keep my eye on him. I think um, I think he'll be a good one to watch. Right, and finally, I've got a question of my own for us discussing the Champions League because it's back this week, and I kind of wish I was heading to Lisbon to watch Spurs. Um, but <laughs> what is your best Champions League away day that you've been on, Dan? We'll start with you this time because Joel, no doubt, isn't quite ready for that question just yet. Well, well, as I already told you, I've actually never been to a, an away game, a Champions League away game, watching oh, City. Ups, no. But uh, but I did. My, my answer to the question is that I did go and watch City play Roma in Melbourne once in Australia, which was quite weird. <laughs> it wasn't a Champions League game, obviously. It was an international Champions Cup game. Uh, Joe Hart Even scored better. a penalty in the in the penalty shootout, oh which was God. incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I was living in Melbourne at the time, and they, they did like the preseason tour over there, and uh, I went to watch City play Rel- Melbourne uh, at the uh, Re- Roma. Sorry, at the uh, Melbourne Cricket Ground, which was quite strange as well. Yeah, the MCG um, isn't that like a hundred thousand? 
Yeah, it's massive. Yeah, I went to watch cricket there when it was full. It wasn't full when when City played Roma there, as you could probably imagine. But uh, yeah, it was weird. And it was like uh, June, July time. Um, and I remember seeing loads of Mancunians had come over for the game wearing like shorts and t-shirt. And, and at that time of year in Melbourne, it's actually quite cold. So they were all freezing their nads off. <laughs> I was just, uh, that was going to be my second question when you said that at the start. I was like, did you actually go all the way around the world to watch Manchester City play Roma in a Champions <laughs> Cup, but haven't been to a Champions League game? If you were living out there, that makes sense. We'll yeah. let you off the hook. What, what, did, did you say Joe Hart scored in the shootout? So did City yeah. win on penalties? They won on penalties, yeah. Joe Hart scored the winning penalty, <laughs> yeah, so... Did it actually go to penalties or did they just do it for practice? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it was it was, it was was a one-all draw, if I remember rightly. Hmm. I, I again Raheem Sterling's debut bizarre. for City it was as well actually oh wow okay it was 2015 mm. then yeah was it 15 15 16 yeah. I, the, the reason I asked about the penalties is that I remember a pre-season game once a West Ham were involved and they practiced a penalty shootout at the end of a friendly really it was at Upton <laughs> Park yeah yeah I, I, <laughs> I can't re- I think it's because I don't know whether it's because they were drawn in the early rounds of the League Cup or, or Europa League or something. Someone out there is definitely going to remember this match. West Ham <laughs> played a preseason friendly against someone in the championship. They won like three or four nil and then said, let's have a penalty shootout as well. So just then took penalties in front of the crowd. You get more bang for your buck. More, pe- just, more penalty shootouts, I say. Yeah, just for fun. Too many. Even if you win yeah. four nil. <laughs> yeah, absolutely mad. Um, what about you, Joel? And whilst you do it, I'm secretly going to quickly try and Google this. Go on, Joel, tell us your story. Because I know you're, you're lucky with Liverpool. you got a lot of away days in the Champions League. Yeah, I, I, yeah my answer might be an obvious one. So uh, I'll have a quick mention for Porto um, being that full of a city that I end up having a ticket for the game, but I end up actually giving it away to someone um because I was having that much fun in the city centre and I was watching that when we played them. Um, I think that would have been the season we got to Kiev. So I think, what, 17, 18? We, uh, we won 5 0. Um, mm. And Porto's that great that you can just have a lot of fun there. Don't you actually need to go to the game? But I, I kind of wish I did because the stadium's quite nice. But my actual answer would be I mean, it is an obvious one, but I went to Madrid for the Champions League final. So sorry, Matt, but like. <laughs> <laughs> Madrid yeah. just incredible. That's my worst one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I mean, I'm not very good in the heat. I'm a, I'm a ginger man, but, you know, the heat was, you know, maybe a bit unbearable. But everything else about Madrid is just beautiful. Uh, you know, nice ham, nice chorizo, nice sangria. Um, can't, can't complain, mate. And then, you know, you get to see your team win, you know, lift, um, lift a big European Cup at the end of it. It's... Um, it's something I recommend to, to all my friends and, and enemies too. Like it's it's really nice. But uh, you know, if you ever get to go to go to watch a game at um, you know at any stadium in Madrid and any on the outskirts, of, you know, obviously there's a lot of teams like you know Getafe and Rayo Vallecano who are not too far away. But if you get to base yourself in Madrid, I definitely recommend that to, to anyone listening. But yeah, I mean, get to see, watch your team with win the Champions League. It's it's always going to be number one, isn't it? Uh, you we really butchered pronunciations today. Was that some chorizo and sangria <laughs> with, with a little a little bit of scouse in there? <laughs> I've got to say that definitely ranks as my number one worst was the Champions League final. I think there's quite a few. Obviously, the uh, the Ajax one with Lucas Moore's hat tricks that semi final just before that. Um, I was in Amsterdam, but I wasn't actually in the game. I didn't have a ticket, so that was a lot of fun. But for me, I was there when Gareth Bale scored a hat trick against Inter Milan. Um, oh were you? Wow, that's in, a in the San Siro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tottenham 
Tottenham were four nil down and down to ten men at half time. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> quick, it, it, it was so bizarre that obviously to watch, you know, it was like that that iconic kind of breakout moment that when you're not a fan of Spurs, you still know that moment. It was Gareth Bale. It was destroying Mykon. Yeah, Mykon's still looking for him now, I think, isn't he? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it was was that moment. And yeah, it was was insane. And like I said, he scored a hat-trick in the second half. And, you know, everyone knew... Knew, everyone knew then he was brilliant for Spurs. He helped them get into the Champions League. But that was like, holy shit, this kid's the real deal. And uh, <laughs> I remember coming out of that game, it sort of feeling like we'd won, but not, yeah. you know, what? It, it was just, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. the feeling of you've witnessed something incredible. Um, just you didn't get any points on the board. But yeah, that was, uh, that was absolutely mad. I'm hoping for a few yeah. more memorable ones. Not like the one, um, yeah, not like the one against Liverpool, like we said. <laughs> that was rather disappointing. <laughs> let's not take that any further Joel um, but that I is need all to get my ass to one I feel, I feel, I feel bad oh, yeah, now as a ba- like a bad fan yeah get myself to Dortmund me and Joel this are year, gonna, maybe me and Joel are going to keep regaling tales of Champions League to make you feel worse and worse until you go <laughs> you need to go and you need to see City lose that's when you you're yeah. truly you truly got stories to tell but yeah that is uh, that is absolutely everything from us uh, for today's episode we will be back on Thursday discussing uh, the fallout from the Champions League some previewing of the weekend's action as well um, and see how we got on with our mild predictions of success for Liverpool and Manchester City although Joel <laughs> maybe wasn't so positive uh, in the meantime of course you can get in touch with the Twitter handles like I mentioned Football Dan Joel S. Murray or at Matt underscore Froelich you can also email us the email address is podcast at onefootball.com thanks so much for my guest today thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time